God, today we ask you to hear our prayers. We ask for healing. In a day where we are so connected to the world, set us apart. In a time of great unrest and uncertainty, we ask for holiness. So search our hearts, renew our minds, and help us love like you love us. Make us holy. Use us to do your will on this earth. God, today we ask that you would restore us. Gather up the bits and pieces of our souls and mend them with your loving hand. Search out those parts that we try to hide from you. Today, God, we invite you in. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. We trust you. May we be set apart for you. May we be holy. Great to have you here at Faith Bible Church. Excited to have you worshiping with us this morning. We start our series on 2 Peter. Very excited about that. We're going to be going through this book for the next seven weeks. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would encourage you to turn to 2 Peter. We're going to be looking particularly at the first 11 verses of this book. But before I start, I just want to talk a little bit about where I see some of the focus of the church going awry. And that is simply this. How many of you are excited that you have been saved? How many of you are willing to be set apart for Jesus Christ? That's the challenge that we have this morning. That's the challenge that we're speaking of this morning as we enter into the book of 2 Peter. And what I want to do and what I want to talk about this morning is to encourage us to recognize that salvation is extremely important. It is, is essentially the full aspect of our Christian faith. But what I want to also tell you is simply this. We have not just been set to be saved. We've been called to be sanctified. That's the goal of the Christian life. And one of the things that I want to say is over the past probably 20 years, the church has focused more on what we call a seeker-sensitive aspect, which isn't necessarily wrong, but unfortunately the emphasis has been on salvation to the detriment of sanctification. And that is what we're going to be talking about, particularly as we start off in this book, calling ourselves out, asking God to set us apart so that we might be holy. But it's important to see that this isn't in a legalistic way. This isn't in a list of rules and regulations. The foundation that we're going to discover lies in recognizing the joy and the beauty of our salvation and the great cost that it took, but then also the blessings that we have received because of what God has done. However, in knowing and seeing that, what God calls us to do is to not stay put. Think about this for just a minute. How many of you look back to the time when you were saved? I want to ask a question. Are you different today 
than you were back then? Or have you not changed? Lovingly, what I'm going to tell you is oftentimes individuals come and they ask a question, how do I know that I am saved? And what I'm going to tell you is this, I'm not going to look at you and say, well, have you prayed the prayer? What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you just a simple question of, how has God worked in your life to draw you toward him and away from the world? And in that, that is clear evidence that indeed you have been saved. Friends, it starts with a prayer. Yes, it, it does. Yes, it starts with us going to God and asking him to be Lord of our life. But it does not end there. And so this morning, we're going to ask a simple question is, this, it's, if I know Jesus and I'm saved, why should I care about being sanctified? Salvation is extremely important. I'm not belittling it. I'm not belittling what God has done on the cross for us. But what I'm here to tell you is this, that the Christian faith and the Christian walk goes far beyond just being saved. We've said it before, and it's simply this. If the point of us is to simply be saved, to know Jesus, then why are we still here? Friends, the reason that we're still here is because Christ has entrusted us, the church, to be the bride of Christ, to be the conduit, to demonstrate the love, the mercy, the joy, and the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus. But how do we do that if all we do is focus on our salvation rather than moving in sanctification? And so what I want to do this morning is, is I want to show you, as Second Peter starts off, he is speaking to the church. And it's interesting because the context that we see this book written in is Peter is toward the end of his life. Most likely this book is written in and around 64 to 67 AD. Peter is imprisoned in Rome, and his future is not one of retirement, 401ks, going out and playing on the golf course, and having a white picket fence. He's going to be martyred. He's going to be martyred in the fashion that most experts would say is that he was essentially crucified upside down on a cross. And yet, Peter is writing to the church a message demonstrating to them the importance of being set apart for God. And so lovingly, what I want to encourage us in is simply this. We all don't have to be martyrs for Jesus, but what I want to ask you is, if in your life following Christ means that you don't have the 401k, it means that you don't have the white picket fence, it means that perhaps you are persecuted for your faith, or you are imprisoned for your faith, could you, or better off, would you be able to praise God because of who he is and what he has done? And the key to that lies in being set apart for God, moving away from the desires of the world and toward holiness or God's calling in our lives. Again, if you have your Bibles with you, we're taking a look and we're discovering that a man who was living his life had his trajectory completely changed by an encounter with another man. Peter had encountered Jesus being fully God and fully man, and discovered indeed that Jesus had come to be the Savior of the world. 
We discover, essentially, through the Gospels, Jesus' life and ministry. We recognize that Jesus' mission was to go to the cross and die upon it so that we could have the forgiveness of our sins when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's huge. However, the Christian faith and the Christian walk doesn't stop there. We're then called, after having come to Christ, to move away from the world and pursue holiness. Now, interestingly enough, what we're going to discover in a minute is, is how do we do that? Because the moment that we talk about moving away from the world and pursuing holiness, in all of our minds, we begin to think, well, that's legalism. That's just basically obeying a set of rules and regulations. And what I'm going to tell you is simply this. That's not the key. The key to being set apart for God is not religion. It's relationship. It's a fundamental relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in that relationship, as we discover who Christ is and what he has done and is doing in our lives, the love of Christ drives us toward being set apart for God. And so what I want to ask you again is this. Having been saved, how are you being set apart? Let's take a moment. Let's read 2 Peter. We're looking at chapter 1. We're essentially going through the first of 11 verses. Peter starts off and he says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires." Friends, it goes on. The book doesn't stop there. And I'm pausing for emphasis. Because essentially these first four verses are discussing the joy and the blessedness of our salvation. And we'll look at that. We'll examine that. We'll talk through that. But what I want to show you and what I want to encourage you in is if that's all there is, if that's the point of the passage, then Peter would have stopped there. But let's read on. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, 
They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind. He has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, 2 Peter is a beautiful book about the joy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. It's a book essentially written by Peter, and what is happening in this book is he is focusing now more on the internal aspects that are being confronted with the church. 1 Peter essentially is a book that is encouraging the followers of Jesus Christ to hold steadfast against sort of the outside forces of the world. 2 Peter is written because what Peter is discovering is, is that the church is listing toward worldliness and not toward godliness. They're starting to become more like the world and not being set apart for our Savior Jesus. And so out of concern, in prison, Peter writes to encourage the church to say, remember what you have been, been given, but also recognize that in what you have been given, there is a calling for us to be set apart or different from the world. And how we become different from the world is not through legalistic demands, not through religion, but it's through relationship. It's through understanding who we are and what we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we examine this, I want to start off in the first two verses, and sort of the main thrust or main idea that's going on here is, because of the grace of God, we have received a priceless gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. That's fundamental, and that's foundational. And what I want to encourage is that oftentimes in today's world, I think that the church is belittling or essentially removing the great cost that we have because of our salvation. They're not talking about the fact that Christ died to forgive us our sins and that we are all sinners in need of a savior. It's not a popular message. People don't like to hear the fact that, hey, we are dead apart from Jesus Christ. But friends, what I want to tell you is, if the church is saying, hey, you're okay, we're all okay, Jesus just makes it better, then the problem is, is we won't be set apart for God. Because we're going to go back and we're going to say, hey, I was fine before, Jesus is just making it better. And so the unpopular but true message is this, we're not okay. We're dead in our sin. We cannot get to God on our own. But God in his grace, through his mercy, has provided the ultimate means of salvation by giving us his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die upon a cross. And that great cost is because of the love of God. And when we recognize the cost that has been given, and that it's been given to all who will receive... And that when we receive, we are given the kingdom of God wholly and fully. We realize indeed just how, keyword, priceless the gift of salvation is. And so friends, the foundation of this 
The, the full aspect of this, first and foremost, is to recognize indeed how precious our salvation is. And what I want to encourage you in is oftentimes, I think that a lot of times, people don't realize the great cost that it took for us to be saved and to have the offer of salvation given freely and openly by grace to where we can receive it without having to make any form of payment. But when we cheapen that, when we turn away from that, we begin to erode at the priceless gift of salvation that we've received in Jesus Christ. So foundationally, friends, what I want to tell you is this. The message of the gospel is our desperate need for salvation due to the fact that we are dead to our sin. There is nothing that we can do to get salvation on our own. But yet, the gift that we've been given is Jesus Christ, who went to the cross to die upon it. So that, having died upon it, being the perfect payment for our sins, we can make full payment for them because of what Jesus has done. That's when we realize how priceless it is. Let me tell you this. How many of you have great debt or have ever been in debt? How many of you have been at a point when someone has come forward and said, you know what, let me pay that debt off for you fully, no problem. No, no expectation, right? There's, there's nothing, I'm just gonna come up, what do you owe? Whatever it is, I owe $20,000 on a car loan and you know, to be honest with you, I'm upside down on it. Okay, great, it's paid off. And you kind of look at them and you go, well, wait a minute, now what are you gonna ask of me? Nothing. Isn't that going to have an impact on your life when you know that they're paying it fully off? Now, let's put further emphasis on this. What if you couldn't pay that debt off? What if you had no means to pay it off? Hey, you owe this, and you are so far in debt that there is no way that you will be able to pull yourself out. You're going to have to declare bankruptcy. And someone comes forward and says, you know what? Don't declare bankruptcy. I'll take that debt upon myself. It's fully paid for. You're going to remember that, aren't you? Well, here's what I want to tell you. Not financially, but spiritually, that is what Christ does for us. We cannot pay off our debt. Yet Jesus comes forward and he says, I'll go to the cross, I'll die upon it, so that you can have your debt paid in full. Signed, sealed, delivered. Take my check to the bank, cash it, and it will be for you. Now think through this for a minute. Number one, it's one thing to say, hey, your debt is paid in full, right? But it's a whole other thing to be able to go to the bank and actually have the funds go through. How many of you have ever had that opportunity where you're sitting there and you've been given a check and you're kind of going, ooh, that's a lot of money. And in the back of your mind, you're wondering, is this actually going to go through or is the bank going to come and say, you know what, the check that you were given, sorry, but it bounced. Think through this for a minute. Not only are you given the check, but Christ in his fullness can make full payment for our debt of sin. We can cash it and we are delivered because of what Jesus has done. 
And the reason that I'm talking about that is if we don't understand, if we don't value the salvation that we've been given, then we're not going to have the motivation to be set apart for Jesus Christ. It's relational. It's recognizing who God is that drives us toward being set apart for God. Peter says, essentially, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who, through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, have received, have been given a faith as precious as ours. Oftentimes, we tend to just fly over the greeting and we don't understand essentially the drive that the author is moving toward. And we look and we focus on the idea of righteousness, receiving, subject of faith, and then the descriptor of that faith as precious as ours. So lovingly, what I want to encourage you in is, is do we see our salvation as precious? Do we see it as priceless? Do we see it as whole? Or do we just see it as a ticket to escape the fiery pit of hell? Because friends, what I want to tell you is, is that that ticket is way more precious than just escaping being separated from God. And if we have the relationship with Jesus, we discover that indeed it's not just a ticket to save us from hell, but it's a ticket to help us to live for God fully. And as we live for God fully, it sets us apart away from the world and more toward Jesus. Friends, the church doesn't need to come or become more like the world. Lovingly, the church needs to become more like Jesus Christ. Peter continues on and he says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So he acknowledges the fact that we must have knowledge of God and of Jesus. Yes, it's important to go out and tell people about who Jesus is, what he has done, how we are to be saved. But again, he doesn't stop there. He continues on with the remainder, not only of this sermon, but the entirety of 2 Peter. And so, first and foremost, we have to lay the foundation that because of the grace of God, we have received a priceless gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And it's then and only then, when we recognize the preciousness of the gift that we have received, that we move in a direction to run the race that is ahead of us. Let me give you another analogy. Friends, the Christian faith is not a sprint. I see so many individuals starting off in the Christian faith, and you know that it's a marathon. And in that analogy, a marathon is 26.2 miles. And I see people sprinting running as fast as they can on fire for God for the first two miles. And lovingly, I'm sitting there going, slow down, endure, persevere, trust. And how are they going to run that race? 
if all they're doing is moving off of salvation and not sanctification. Because I've never run a marathon. I've run, first I've ran in a race is 6.2 miles. And what I'm going to tell you is, is in about mile three, I felt like it was a marathon and I couldn't wait for that next 3.2 miles to be done. But it's in those moments that we're running the race that often we fall. That we fall blind to what we've been given. We've been falling blind to the gift that we have in Jesus. And so how do we persevere? How do we move forward? It's by being set apart for God, being sanctified by Him. So, Peter continues on, and he says, not only do we have the grace of God, and we've given, given a priceless gift of salvation, but through salvation, through being saved, God's power grants us all things that to pertain to life and godliness. We've been given the power of God. In verse 3, Peter starts off and he says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. So we have it. You've been given it. Each and every one of you, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, have been given the divine power and you've been given everything that you need for life and godliness. So here's what I want to tell you. Are you becoming more godly? And what I want to say is this. If after having been saved, you're not becoming more godly, then what I want to tell you is, is you're not plugged in to the Savior. It's relationship. We have everything we need. It says it right here. When you are saved, you have been given all divine power for godliness. You've been given the Holy Spirit. You've been given the gift. The question is, is what are you doing to use it? What are you doing to set yourself apart? Interestingly enough, theologians have said that this portion of this passage is the perfect emphasis of the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. The sovereignty of God in salvation and the free will of man to choose, essentially, will I allow or move forward in having God set me apart? God will do the work, but we too must allow God to work within us. And so friends, what I want to tell you is this, are you allowing God to work within you? Or is it just about being saved? Is it just about getting, essentially, the ticket to remove you from hell? Through salvation, God's power grants us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We have what we need. Peter continues on, and he says, through these, okay? So what are the these? Through these, well, essentially... Through the power of God, we've been given life and godliness. And knowing Him, right, those are the aspects that He has given us very great and precious promises. What are those promises? You are mine. You will be with me in my kingdom. You have eternal life. I will not leave you nor forsake you. So those aspects have been given to us. And we have received them because of what God has done. But then he says, 
so that through them, they're not just given to you so that you can hold on to them, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. So there's a purpose to this, participating in the divine nature. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that we become gods. It means that we participate in the divine nature, the holiness of our God. And in order to participate in the divine nature, we must be set apart for Jesus. And so another question that I ask is how many of us are participating in the divine nature? Or how many of us are standing here robbing God of what he has done for us by only wanting to be saved but not to serve our king? And that's a hard message, but it needs to be preached. Now, service is not legalistic. Service is relationally given. We serve because of what we have. We set ourselves apart because of what we've been given. We set ourselves apart because we've been given the precious gift of our salvation. And so, in this, even though Peter says, through salvation, God's power grants us all things that pertain to life and godliness, there's a call to move toward life and godliness, which he then expounds upon in the next couple of verses. He continues on, and he says, so you're going to participate in the divine nature. Well, why? To escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So if we've been given the divine nature and the purpose is to escape the corruption of the world, then why is the church trying to be so worldly? We're not supposed to be. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be set apart. We're supposed to be holy. And friends, what I want to tell you is, is that when people look at you and you call yourself a Christian, they should see a difference. They should see a difference in you that isn't after the desires of the world, but it's after the kingdom of God. And so, friends, what I want to tell you is this. Are your heart, is your heart driving toward the kingdom? Or is it driving toward worldly possession? We continue on in verses 5 through 7. We recognize the preciousness of our salvation. We realize that we've been given God's power to life and godliness. But then Peter continues on and he says, For these very reasons, because of what we've been given, because of the preciousness of our salvation, because we have God's power within us for life and godliness. I'm going to contemporize this. He says, Get off your rear. Don't just sit there. But be holy. I didn't die on a cross so that you can just be saved. I died on a cross to save you so that you can be my church. And in being my church, the way you do that is to set yourself apart from the world and move in a direction of holiness. And so... Peter continues, and he says, for these reasons, we should make every effort to, notice this, add to our faith. Add to it. Don't divide it. 
Don't separate it. Add to it. I'm not the best at math, but what I remember is that if you add to something, you have one thing, and then you add to another, and the sum of that is what the equation is after. So friends, Peter is saying, your salvation, your faith should be added to by these following attributes. And the manner of how we add to that is not legalistic, it's not regulatory, it's not religion, but it's by recognizing the salvation that we've been given and the precious gift we have through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the relationship that we have with Him. And so then we say, Lord, let me add to my faith these attributes. And so another question that I ask of this is are we adding to our faith on a regular and consistent basis? Are we adding to our faith to be set apart for God each and every day? As you age from the moment that you've been saved, are you just getting older? Or are you getting holier? Holiness is being set apart for God, or the word that we use, being sanctified. For this very reason, okay, Peter continues, for this very reason, because of, basically, cumulative effect of verses 1 through 4. Make every effort to add to your faith. Okay? Think about this for a minute. Active participation. It does not say for this very reason, you sit and just do what you want, how you want, and when you want, and expect God to make life better. No. It says for this very reason, make every Effort, effort takes work. What are we working toward? Adding to our faith. What should we add to our faith? Goodness. Interestingly enough, this is cumulative. It's interesting, the progression here is cumulative. It's saying, start, add, and as you add this, and as you look to Jesus, it will bring about this, and as you add to that, it will bring about this. And what's the end game? Love. Unconditional, undeniable, irrevocable love, agape, that's been given to us through Jesus Christ. Do you see how that all goes back? How can we add to this, to the goal of being able to love others unconditionally, irrevocably, and undeniably as Jesus loves us, the agape love that's been displayed, if 
we don't have a relationship with the agape God. And we don't know or we don't cherish the salvation that we've been given through Jesus Christ. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness. How many of you are adding to your faith goodness? Daily. Making effort, striving for that. Asking God, saying, how might I be good for you? And a goodness knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of our Savior Jesus. How many of you are in the Word? Again, I'm not talking legalistically, okay? The foundation to this is relational because of Jesus. But how many of you are wanting to know more about Jesus, wanting to go to His Word, seeking it? Asking what God says, looking at it, allowing God's word to permeate your heart, to prick those areas of your life that we need to work on, to convict us of our sin, to grow us in our faith, to encourage us. Friends, what I want to tell you right now, it is scary to see the church unable to answer simple doctrinal statements about the foundation of Christianity. We have millions in the pews, but you ask them simple things about their faith and they cannot give an answer. Now please hear me. Giving answer does not mean that you are saved. Your salvation comes through Jesus Christ. But in being saved... Are we wanting to know more about the God who has saved us and given us a course of being set apart from the world for Jesus? Or are we just happy to know that we were saved? And lovingly, I'm going to tell you, Peter says it a little bit nicer than I do. If that's where you are, I'm not God and I'm not judged, but are you saved at all? When you encounter our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as Peter had done, and you recognize who He is and what He has done for you and me and humanity, and it is an authentic encounter with Jesus, you will be forever changed. Because of the precious gift that's been given to us in our salvation. Add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control. Friends, how do we have self-control? How do we move away from the desires of the world? Friends, I'm going to be honest with you. The church, men, guys, lovingly, we are no better than the secular world in struggles with pornography. What are we doing about self-control? That's not judgmental. That's just a true stated fact. How are we different from the world? How are we looking toward Jesus What are we different with? 
How are we self-controlling our lives? And the self-control comes, again, not because of legalism. It becomes, uh, it is rooted because of relationalism with Jesus. We're called to be set apart. We're called to be holy. We're called to be different. Self-control, and to self-control, what comes next? Perseverance. Right there, friends, it should tell us that the Christian faith is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And lovingly, how are we persevering? Oftentimes, so many times, people come, and they get excited, and they're looking, and then all of a sudden... When life doesn't go the way that they want, when challenges come to them, when difficulties assail them, they become embittered by God or with God because God isn't doing what they want or they think he should do. And friends, when we pray and we cry out and we say, not my will be done, but thy will be done, do we mean it? Yes, I have hopes and dreams for my life. Yes, I would love to pastor for the next 15 years and then retire and move somewhere and end up with a white picket fence and be able to have my dream of going down Jackson's slope and God just takes me into glory. But if it doesn't happen, if God doesn't give me what I want, will I still praise him? Should I be Peter? And should I be at the end of my life? And should the end of my life, as the world looks at it, accumulate to me being in prison, about to be martyred for my faith, will I still be able to say, God, I love you and I praise you and you are mine and you are good? And will I continually set myself apart for God away from the world? Will I persevere? And then it continues on and it says, and to perseverance, godliness. Godliness, participation in the divine nature. We want to look like Jesus, right? Hello? Do we want to look like Jesus? Okay, friends, you want to look like Jesus then this is what we're called to do. Hear me. And that's why I've laid such a solid foundation. We do not work for our salvation. We work because of the precious gift of salvation that we've been given. And when we truly recognize the precious gift of salvation that we've been given, our heart's desires are to work or be set apart for God to be sanctified. And that brings about godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. I don't see a lot of Philadelphia in our world right now. I really don't. And friends, lovingly, the church's answer is to be Philadelphia, the Greek word. Brotherly love. Now, I'm not saying that that means that we accept people, right, 
and say, hey, it's fine. God doesn't want to change your life. We are called to a different life trajectory. But are we loving our brothers and our sisters as we're called to do? Or are we allowing the world and its divisiveness to creep into our lives so we too become divided and lose the aspect of brotherly love? And then it continues on and it says, and a brotherly kindness, love. Now don't miss this. Brotherly kindness, love. Done. After this, it doesn't say, and from love, next, next, or next. So two things that I want, to see, want you to see in this, okay? First and foremost, I know a lot of people are saying, okay, so these are the only attributes that I need to be looking at and examining. Let's do this. The answer to that is no. But what I will lovingly say, church, myself, if we could just get these, that would be wonderful. Truly, honestly. I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you. But it ends with love, and the reason for that is it's the word in Greek, agape. Unconditional, irrevocable, undeniable love that was displayed for us by Jesus on the cross so that we might have life. If we are to emulate Jesus as we look at our salvation by being set apart and making effort daily to grow in or add to our faith, as Peter is exhorting, these things... The end result is that we will display the unconditional, irrevocable love that we have been given through Jesus, and we will be what God is calling us, his church. And so, friends, what I want to ask you is, is are we making effort? Realize that you're not having to do it on your own. Earlier, Peter says we've been given everything we need, but are you exercising with it? Let me give you another analogy, okay? I'm right there. Kelly is basically my accountability partner. And I, as life has kind of gone on, gotten a little bit rounded, as I'll just say, right? And so let me tell you this. If I go to her and say, hey, I'd like to try to slim up, and I've been given the means to do so, okay, eat less, go on walks, use the treadmill, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So here, here is everything, right? Am I going to make the effort to do it? It's the same thing here. Are you, having been given the gift of salvation, the divine nature, the power to godliness and godly living, going to make effort to grow in your faith, to add to it, to move toward producing these qualities, culminating in the unconditional, irrevocable, undeniable love of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then Peter continues on and he says this, when we make every effort to be sanctified, we become fruitful for God. When we make these efforts, that's when we become fruitful for God. And so, this is what he says. 
okay, we're going to culminate in love, but then he says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, okay, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that we just get them. It means that we are constantly working to have more of them. We are constantly working to be set apart for God. If you possess these qualities in, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being what? Ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, it's one thing to know Jesus, and that's huge, and I'm all about knowing Jesus. But if we want to be effective and productive for God's kingdom, then what Peter is saying, in order to do so, we must, what? Be adding to our faith these attributes, these qualities. And then he says... But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind. Friends, he's essentially saying, look, if you want to know that you're saved, if you want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are indeed in part of the kingdom of God, the manner to know this is demonstrating these attributes. Please hear me. Demonstrating these attributes does not save us. What saves us is our faith in Jesus Christ by the grace that we've been given through his death on the cross. But in knowing that we are saved, we demonstrate what God is calling us to do, to be, to act like. He is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. How do you forget that you've been cleansed from your past sins? Simply this. You don't have the relationship with the one who continues to demonstrate that your sins are forgiven. You forget because you're not in constant contact with the Savior. Relationally. Friends, when I'm reminded every day of the sins that I've been forgiven, when I'm reminded of every day of the sins that I am forgiven, when I'm reminded every day of the sins that I will be forgiven of that I'm going to commit tomorrow, and that God loves me unconditionally, irrevocably, and undeniably because I am His, and He has died on a cross for me, that's what drives me toward a desire to want to emulate these qualities that Peter is exhorting to add to my faith in Jesus. And so, friends, are we making every effort to be sanctified and become fruitful for God? And then it continues on, and he says this, Therefore, okay, because of this, therefore, my brothers and sisters, okay, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. Sounds familiar. Isn't there a passage in Scripture that says, be saved and that's all there is? 
No, if I remember correctly, there's a passage in Scripture that says, continue to work out your salvation. I'll go this way because there's the cross. You've been saved, friends. Don't, don't, I don't want anybody to worry about that. You place your faith and trust in Jesus, you've been saved. But the manner of authenticating and recognizing your salvation is the fact that having been saved and realizing the relationship that you have, you are continuing to work out your salvation. Work, sanctify, be set apart, make effort to be different from the world. And so with that, when we make every effort to be sanctified, we become more fruitful for God, and, and this is verse 11, we receive a rich inheritance in his kingdom. Therefore, my brothers, verse 10, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. You want to know you're saved. You want to know that you're called and you have been elected by God. What I ask and what I think Peter is saying is, how has your life changed more toward God and godliness and less from the world and worldliness. And there is the key to demonstrating indeed that you have been saved. For if you do these things, you will never uh, fail or fall. And you will receive a rich inheritance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want to just ask you a question. How many of you, when you get to heaven, okay, are aware that, yes, by being saved, we are in heaven. But how many of you are aware that there are rewards that are given in heaven? Okay. There are rewards that are given in heaven. Okay. Heaven's going to be awesome, right? Okay. I mean, it's going to be amazing. So that's, that's, that's one thing that I want to say. But in this analogy, lovingly, what I want to ask of you is this. How many of you, when the Lord calls you home, want essentially the reception to be well done good and faithful servant great job you have persevered in my name come and share in my gifts versus whew, man we were taking bets on whether or not you were going to get here <laughs> okay now that's a joke because when you're saved, you're saved. I don't want anybody to think about that, hey, you know, if I don't put my faith and trust in Jesus, then, you know, I've got to do all of these things to be saved. That's not the message. Salvation is in Christ alone, through grace alone, by faith alone. However, in being saved relationally, because of who God is, it drives our hearts to want to be set apart for Him. And so lovingly, friends, as your pastor... What I'm going to tell you is this. You have a choice. Do you want, in this joking analogy, Peter and Paul and Jesus and maybe those people who are in Christ that have gone to Christ before you, standing there taking bets saying, you know what, I'm going to take this, I don't know, those odds don't look very good. Or do you want them standing there going, that man, that woman, great job. Great job. And interestingly enough, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, a hall of faith, the cloud of witnesses that have gone before us are standing in heaven cheering us on. 
saying, persevere. Move toward your life with Christ. Move away from the world. Demonstrate godliness. Have self-control. Move forward to perseverance toward the demonstration of the love of God because of who he is and what he has done. I don't know about you. I'm excited to get to heaven. I don't know what my inheritance will be. But prayerfully, what I want for me when I go to heaven is I want God to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want him saying, man, you know, we were looking and we weren't really sure that you were going to make it. I know I've gone long, but, but friends, I just, I want to drive this home because my heart is so concerned for church today. Because there is so much more to the Christian walk and life than just being saved. Although that's awesome. And so with this, my take-home truth is, may our salvation, okay, the preciousness of our salvation, may the gift that we have been given drive us, motivate us, for the love of God compels us. That's what we're talking about here. Towards sanctification, being set apart. Okay? Why? So that as we are set apart, notice, as we are, not when we are, as we are, it is continual in our walk with Jesus until God takes us home, that we are constantly being set apart for God daily, regularly, more for God, less for the world. We become more fruitful for God's kingdom. Not for ourselves, not for our own desires, but for the kingdom of God of which we serve. All the way back up to verse 1, as Peter says, Simon Peter, someone who God owes and must do what I ask. No. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle, conduit of subject, myself, my own desires, my own wants, my own needs. No. Jesus Christ. Friends, may our salvation drive us towards sanctification so that as we are set apart, we become more fruitful for God's kingdom, not our own.